Thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Arise Baptist Church podcast. Due to the technical difficulties when recording this episode live, we don't have the first 90 seconds of audio from this message. For this portion, I will be filling in for Pastor Will and reading from the transcripts. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 5, and let's look once again at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached these words, and I will tell you right now, I know I will not do as good a job as he did, but I hope, as we look at his sermon a little bit more together tonight, that we'll get some encouragement and some help to be salt and light. The title tonight, Pass the Salt, Turn on the Light. Anybody ever been sitting at a dinner table and you took the first bite of food and said, hmm, pass the salt, please. Why would you say that? Because salt, when it's added to the meal, makes a difference, doesn't it? You ever walked into a room and said, who turned out the lights? Somebody better turn the lights on. As we look at this message that Jesus Christ preached, I hope that you will be helped and encouraged. Look with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. The Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth. That's true. You are the salt of the earth. That brings up a lot of questions, doesn't it? It makes you think about the fact that the earth must need salt. On its own, it's struggling. As we look at this world that we live in, I think we could argue, and correctly so, that this world needs something. You might take a taste of this world and say, hmm, not satisfying. may taste good at first, but then it doesn't last. This world needs salt. Ye are the salt of the earth. Look at the next word, but. But. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it, wherewith shall the earth be salted? If salt isn't salty anymore, then what good is it for this earth? How is the earth going to get what it needs if you, the Christians, if you, the follower of Christ, are not the salt that God wants you to be? You know, it's hard sometimes to realize that we, as believers, are the reason that the world is in the mess that it's in today. Yes, sin has its effect. Yes, this world has the devil fighting hard. But God has given us everything that we need to overcome the world. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Notice, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Then he gives us a second analogy. Ye are the light of the world. These were two things that the people in Jesus' day would have understood very well. They knew what salt was. They knew what salt was used for. They knew that salt was used to help give flavor to food. They understood that salt was used as a preserving agent to be able to store meat away for long periods of time and other goods. They understood that even in some cases, salt was used as money. It was used in trade. They understood 
all of these different things and more that salt was used for. It was common. It was every day. Everybody knew what salt was. The people also understood what light was. Not just any kind of light, but a specific kind of light. The kind of light that you would use to light your house. Of course, we know in this day it wasn't electricity. You would use probably a, a small oil lamp, a little clay lamp that would have been made where you could put some oil in it and a little wick and light the tip of that. And it wouldn't give off a really bright light, but in a very dark room, that light might be all that you had. And they would take those little lights and probably in some houses, they only had one light. Of course, back then, in this day, most of these people, their house consisted of one room. And so this little light would be placed up on a high little pedestal or on, as the Bible says here, on a candlestick so that it could give light to the whole house. It would be very helpful, especially in those days, because there was no electricity. When the sun went down, it got dark. We've experienced that this week, haven't we? As the sun goes down now because of an arbitrary time change that gets dark. Our bodies aren't used to it. We don't like it. It's kind of uncomfortable. We wish it was still bright outside. When the light goes down, we tend to get tired. Our body says it's time to go to bed. And I realize I have a great challenge in front of me to preach to the church on Wednesday night, the middle of the week when we're already tired, and it's the first week of time change. Our bodies are ready to go to sleep. I'm thankful that we have some light in here tonight. If you'd come in here tonight, and I said, Brother Winston, turn out all the lights. We're going to do it in the dark. Guess what? Most of you wouldn't make it through the message. You might not make it anyway, but at least we have some light to try to help and keep you awake tonight. But notice verse 14, ye are the light of the world, just like you are the salt of the earth. Notice he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Cities were often built for people to see them. They would be put up in a high place. It was a defensible place. It was a place where the armies couldn't attack easily, where a city could have some preeminence over the surrounding valley, the surrounding area. So they would build it up high so people could see it. He says in verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. You know what a bushel was, right? This is a basket that they would use, some sort of thing to measure out the grain or to carry the grain. These would have been commonplace items in every household. And as Jesus is preaching this sermon there to all these people gathered around Him on the mountainside, can you imagine as they came close, the Bible tells us He was sitting down as they were down below Him on the mountainside, and He's talking about everyday commonplace items that these people would have been extremely familiar with. Salt, light. Then he talks about a candlestick. These are things these people would have understood. Jesus did an amazing job of taking commonplace, everyday, run-of-the-mill items and helping people to understand their life, to understand the world, and to understand God better because of these everyday items. He said, if you put it under a bushel, but men don't light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Maybe you grew up in a 
Sunday school and you used to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What was that verse, though? I remember as a kid, we always liked, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? That's where this comes from. What's Jesus trying to illustrate? He says in verse number 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Salt and light. Jesus uses two beautiful metaphors to picture those who are living the Christian life. Who's he talking to? He says, ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. So who is Jesus talking to? Who is the you? Who's the ye? Well, even though we've moved through all of the Beatitudes together, Jesus, I believe, is describing who the you are in the previous verses as he gave to us the Beatitudes. Who's Jesus talking about? Well, let's go back and refresh our memory. It's going to be on the screen. You read it out loud. I'll read it as well. And let's all read it together. Verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. If we're reading this in context, and we are, then the ye who are the salt and the ye who are the light are the same ones that Jesus has just described here in this list of beatitudes or blessings. Who are they? The poor in spirit. Who are they? They, they that mourn. They are the meek. Who are they? Who, who are we talking about? Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What do these people look like? What a salt and light. What do they do? What kind of people are they? Well, they're merciful people. They are those who are pure in heart. The Bible even describes them here as peacemakers. Even those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Ever been mistreated for doing the right thing? Not fun. Jesus says that, that's what being salt and light looks like. Being merciful, that's what salty people do. That's what people who shine brightly do. They are peacemakers. Yes, even those who mourn. Sometimes I think when we 
look at this passage of Scripture about the salt of the earth and the light of the world, we somehow try to distance it from the verses that we just read. But Jesus, as He starts out talking, He says, Ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world. Who's He talking about? He's talking about the people that He just spent 12 verses describing in the first part of Matthew chapter 5. See, being salt and being light isn't just this sort of nice imaginary thought that we are to be, hey, don't hide your bushel, hide your light under a bushel. Hey, you need to ha- have salt so that the world has, your, has a good taste for believers. No, the Bible describes it in detail. Great detail so that we have no question what it means to be a Christian that is like salt, to be a believer who is like light in this world. I don't know about you, but I think specifics are helpful. If we just treat the Christian life as just this sort of general idea, chances are we will miss what we're supposed to be doing. But if Christ is specific with us as He is here, we know exactly what it means to be salt and light. I don't have time tonight to go in detail into all of these different Beatitudes. We've spent the last 10 weeks doing that. So if you want to go back and listen to all those again, you can. But I want you to take that, if you've been listening along with us all through the beginning of this series, and and apply that thought. Okay, that's what it means to be salt and light. And then I want you to take that idea with me and think about, first of all tonight, when salt and light are bad. Because here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, he describes two different ways in which salt and light are bad. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's look back at our text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Here it is. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? All right, we're having a Bible study tonight. So... When is salt bad, in your own words? Don't worry about the blank on your paper. I'm talking about in your own words. When is salt bad? When it has no saltiness, right? When it has no flavor. And because of that, what is it good for at that point? Just to be thrown out, right? That's what the Scripture says. If it's lost its savor, then it's not going to be any good to salt anything with. And so you might as well just throw it out and let people trotted underfoot. It's of no more value than the gravel on the street. It's of no more value than the dirt underfoot. I said it this way in your notes. Well, actually, I didn't even put this in your notes because I didn't want you to get confused by it, but this is how I wrote it in my notes. When something doesn't do what it was created to do, it can only be thrown out. When something doesn't do what it was created to do, it can only be thrown out. When I was a teenager, my mom will remember this, I tried to bake some monkey bread, or as in our family, we called it bubble bread. We still call it that, and we'd make the bread dough, and we'd roll it into little balls, and we'd put it in a bundt cake pan with cinnamon and sugar, and we'd, in our family, we would add some, some walnuts and some some maraschino cherries chopped up in there and baked that and 
We love to eat that. In fact, if you come over to our house around Christmas time, you might get to enjoy some bubble bread. But that particular bubble bread, we didn't enjoy very much. I don't know what happened to it. I think what we had purchased from the store was bad because I think we taste tested the bag of sugar afterwards. But what we thought was sugar was actually salt. And we pulled out this beautiful pan, I mean, all ooey gooey and sticky on top, all shiny, looked beautiful, pulled it out of the oven, smell of cinnamon, wonderful thing, and we took the first bite, and instead of tasting that sweet, wonderful bread, it was just all salt. You know what we did? We threw it out. In fact, putting it in the trash can wasn't even good enough for that bread. I remember taking it outside and throwing it over the fence. I figured at least the ants or something could enjoy it. I didn't throw it in the neighbor's yard fence, but we had kind of an empty spot where we would garden and plant uh, vegetables next to us, and that's where I threw it. Something that was supposed to be sweet came out salty, and I just threw it out. I was so disappointed. I put so much work into making that bread. I, I had it rolled all that dough. You know, bread dough, you got to wait for it to rise. I mean, th- this process takes hours to make. I was so looking forward to enjoying that bread, so looking forward to my family enjoying that bread with me because I think they were helping some of them to make the bread, but we didn't enjoy it at all. You know, when something doesn't do what it was created to do, it can only be thrown out. I'm so thankful that we serve a merciful and gracious God. Because how many times as Christians, can you imagine if God was like you or me? He's putting all that work and all that effort into us. And he says, oh, look, I've been working hard. I've spent so much time. I sent my son Jesus to die for their sin. Oh, I've, I've given them blessings. I've encouraged them. I put all the things necessary, all the right ingredients in the place just so they could have everything that they need so they can go out and serve me with their lives. And, and then if he were to take a taste, oh, it's not what I expected. I'm so thankful the first time that God took a taste of me or of you. He didn't just say, well, throw him out. But that's what we would do with salt that had lost its savor. You see, when something doesn't do what it was created to do, it can only be thrown out. We're talking about when salt and light are bad. If believers are no longer distinctly followers of Jesus Christ, as we just read in the Beatitudes, then how will the earth be salted? How will it be preserved? How will it be given the flavor that it needs? You see, salt, it gives flavor. Salt provokes thirst. Salt preserves for the future. Salt is a cleansing or a purifying agent. This world needs Jesus, but God has chosen to put the message of the gospel in earthen vessels, clay pots like you and me to go out and shine forth and to show the glorious goodness of His gospel and power to change this world. But for many believers, they've lost their savor. When salt and light are bad, 
Let's continue on and look down at verse number 15. We've looked a little bit about when salt is bad. How about when light is bad? You say, how could light be bad? Verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So, looking at this verse, all right, you're thinking with me tonight. When would light be bad or not functioning according to its purpose? According to the verse, what? Yeah, when you hide it. Like, what's the point of lighting a candle if you're just going to cover it up? What, what's the point of screwing in a light bulb if you're just going to put it under a blanket where nobody can see it anyway? What's the point of light if you cover it up? This would be how I wrote it in my notes, and I left this blank. You can write whatever you want in yours. When something is not used for the purpose for which it was intended, it's pointless. Just like when something doesn't do what it was created to do, it can only be thrown out, so too, when something is not used for the purpose for which it was intended, it is pointless, useless, of little or no value. All right, Terrell, I'm going to use your help tonight, okay? So I brought some tools with me. Can you come up here and stand with me? Are you good at using tools? Okay. Well, we're going to test this out. All right, I have a screw, a board, and a couple nails, okay? Be careful. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Only trained professionals should try this. All right, I got this nail here tonight, and this is the board, and I've got you a tool. This is a good tool, and I want you to hammer this nail in with this tool. Would this be useful or not? No, sir. Why not? What if I gave you this one? Would this work better? I'm not going to make you demonstrate your hammering abilities for us all tonight, but why would you choose this over that? Yeah, this is intended to hammer nails. What's that for? Yeah, so what if I gave you this? Would that work a little better? In fact, if I gave you this screw and this hammer, while you could wham it in it, it wouldn't function quite like it should, would it? Because this is meant to be screwed in carefully into this board. In the same way, I think this is interesting, if this screw were already in, and I said, I want you to pull it out, here's a hammer, you might get it out, but it'd take a lot of work, especially if the screw were already in. But if I gave you the screwdriver, it'd be easy to get out, wouldn't it? Same way if I said, okay, here's this nail, and you still got the nail, and if the nail was in the board, and it was all the way in, and I said, I want you to get the nail out with the screwdriver, that'd be a little bit hard too, wouldn't it? But if I gave you this, it has a handy thing on the back, right? We could probably pull that nail out pretty quickly. Now... This isn't complex, right? This isn't rocket science. We're just talking about using tools for what they're intended for. But if we were using the wrong tool, or if we didn't have the right one, it'd be pretty frustrating. Some of you have probably been in that situation before, right? Um, I remember a couple times when my wife says, honey, I need you to hang this picture on the wall. And so I'm like getting all my stuff, and I get up there and realize I've forgotten the right tool. 
Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You've tried to push that nail in with your thumb just enough to hold it because you didn't want to run all the way back to the garage to get the hammer. But if you had a hammer, it would work really well. Or maybe you've tried to use a screwdriver and you've hit on it, you know, like that, trying to knock it in. And then you missed and made a mark on the wall. And then you're frustrated with yourself because you used the wrong tool. It's important to have the right tool, isn't it? You know, when God calls us to be the light of the world, do you think He wants to just take us and us to take ourselves and hide ourselves away? Or do you think He wants us to shine out so the whole world can see? Yeah, because that's what lights do, right? Lights are not made to be hidden. Lights are made to be put up so everybody can see. Thank you, Terrell. Thanks for helping us illustrate this tonight. And uh, I'm thankful that God says He has made us to be the light of the world. That's pretty special, isn't it? To think that your life was made by God to have an impact on this world. Now, some people wonder, well, what's the purpose of my life? What's the point of it? What am I here to do anyway? Well, he's given us two purposes that both really feed into one big purpose, but two different illustrations of it. He says, you are the salt of the earth. God's put you here to create something special in this world, to cause people to have a desire for something, to give flavor to something in this world. He says, you're like a light. You're here to shine in darkness. You know, when I came in here earlier tonight to get everything, the lights turned on before the service, somebody had left just these spotlights on on the cross, and the whole room was dark except for that. You know something else that light does? Not only does it reveal what's in the darkness, but it also draws attention to something. You know, when I came in here, the only thing that the light was on was on this cross. And it was pretty easy to look at the cross. In fact, that was all I was really able to see in the room at that time because that's where the light was. Jesus here is comparing us to salt and light. But we've started out by talking about when salt and light are bad. They're bad when they're not used for the purpose that they were created for. They're bad when they don't do what they were intended to do. Light that can't be seen is pointless. Think about this with me. The value of salt and the value of light really isn't in the item itself. The value of this item is not in itself. It is in its ability to perform according to its design. Salt by itself doesn't have much value. Light, a little wick burning doesn't have much value. But when it reveals something else, it has a much greater value, doesn't it? Now, don't misunderstand. Sometimes we get the idea that we're only valuable to God if we do really good stuff and we're not valuable to God if we don't do really good things. Do you know how I know you're valuable to the Lord? Because He loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin. Jesus isn't speaking to your value as a person before God. Rather, He's speaking here about 
how effective you are in living out the purpose for which God created you. Think about it this way. My children are valuable to me because they're my children. Not because they clean the house, not because they mow the grass, not because they're the most talented child in the world. They're just valuable because they're my children. And you're valuable to God in the same way. If you've trusted Him as your as Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are God's child and you're valuable to Him. But in the same way that my children have a choice, okay, am I going to live out that value, live out that purpose? In the same way, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a child of God, you have a choice. Am I going to live in the reality of that value? Or am I just going to let myself be cast out, let my light be covered up? When salt and light are bad. Number two, when salt and light are good. This is a simple point, but I think it needs to be made. Salt is good when it is used properly. When it's salty, when it seasons, when it purifies, when it preserves, light is good. We can see back here in our text in verse 15, when it is lifted up. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Why? So that the light can be seen by all. Light needs to be in a place where it can shine out to others. Light reveals the truth and light provides focus. What are you doing to let your light shine? What are you doing to allow Christ to put you in a place where others can see the work of God in you and through you? Are the deeds of Christ visible in you and through you? We just read all of these beatitudes, being merciful, being pure in heart, being peacemakers, being willing to do right even when others speak evil against you. Christian, are you light? Christian, are you salt? Or are you just like the rest of the world? As we wrap this up tonight, I want us to think about a few lessons from salt and light. What, what are some lessons we can learn for our life today? Well, you could probably add to this list, but here's four. Number one, everything has a purpose. Everything that God created has a purpose. Just like that screwdriver has a purpose, that hammer has a purpose, Light has a purpose. Salt has a purpose. You have a purpose. Everything that God created has a purpose. Now, if you go online and search, you know, useless inventions, you'll find quite a few. But none of those were invented by God. Everything that God created has a purpose. Amen. Just as we see here in our example that Christ gives, salt and light both have important purposes. Don't ever come to a place in your life and say, well, I just don't have a purpose anymore. Sometimes you can find yourself in a difficult situation and say, what use am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? 
you may not be sure what your purpose is, but you can be assured of this truth that God has a purpose for you. Amen. Everything that God creates has a purpose. Second lesson, this is from salt. When salt is added, change takes place. Change takes place to the flavor. Change takes place to the moisture content. Change takes place to whether this item is clean or dirty. Salt brings change into a situation. If you can come into a situation and your words, your actions, your testimony don't bring a positive influence towards Christ, then are you really salty? If there's no change in your behavior and your attitude when it comes to God's Word in your life, are you allowing God to do His work of renewal in you, transformation in you, so that you too can be changed? This challenges me as even I think about our church. If our church in this place doesn't bring any positive influence on our community, on our neighbors, on the people around us, then is our church really doing what it should be doing? Church is not just a social club for the few. It's not just a place where people hide out from everything else. No, God's put His church here to be a light in this world as it's hopefully full of a whole bunch of little lights that are shining together to shine the light of Jesus Christ. When salt is added, change takes place. Third lesson we can learn, when light shines, it reveals what has been hidden. When light shines, it reveals what has been hidden. When you're looking for something and you go into a room, what's the first thing you do? You turn on the light. Why? So you can find what it is you're looking for. You've all done this if you have children, right? You go into a room looking for something that your child is sleeping in, and you're like, I can't turn on the light. And you're like sneaking around in there. You're turning on your little cell phone flashlight, and you're trying to cover it up so they can't see it. Why? Because you don't want to wake them up. But sometimes you fumble and bump and bang around so much, you think, it would have just been better if I turned the light on in the first place. Why? Because the light reveals what has been hidden. God's Word is truth. God is the source of all truth. And we, as the light of Christ in this world, can help to shine the light of truth into this dark world and help people to see what has not been there. You know, it takes light for people to even truly understand what darkness is. Have you ever been in a room and it was kind of semi-dark or maybe very dark and you kind of stumbling around, you kind of figure, and then all of a sudden the lights get turned on, and you, whoa, wow, I can see. Things that didn't make sense now make sense. I've always wondered if that's why in some restaurants they keep the lights dim, if it's for the mood or if it's just so you don't see all the dirt on the floor and the dust in the corners. I don't know. It might be scary in some of these places when you go in. If they turn the lights on bright, what you might see running around in the corners, I don't know. I hope not, right? But when the light comes on, it reveals what is there. And as we live in this world, as we live as light, it ought to reveal to others the darkness in their own hearts. It ought to reveal to others the struggle of their sin. I think sometimes people live the way they do because they don't know that there's any other way. 
They're hopeless because that's all they know. But when the light of Jesus Christ shines in, they realize, oh, this culture, this, this thing that I've always done, this way that I've always lived, it's not really right. Well, how did they even know that? Because the light shone in. When light shines, it reveals what has been hidden. And the fourth lesson I want you to see, and again, you could probably come up with a lot more. These were just mine that I was jotting down as I was studying this passage. The fourth one, when light shines, it causes people to look. That's why police cars have lights on top. Why? Because they want people to look. want people to see. It's hard to ignore those bright, flashing lights. When you go into an art gallery, what do they have shining over the portraits? They have little spotlights. Why? Because that's where they want you to look. That's what they want you to see. If somebody's in a business presentation or a teacher in a classroom, sometimes they'll have a laser pointer. Why? Because that's where they want you to look. They want you to focus. If you go to the theater to watch a play or a program of some kind, they have all kinds of lights on the stage. Why? Because that's where they want you to look. They turn out the lights in the audience, and all of the light is on the performers on the stage. I want you to think about that idea of that light shines, it causes people to look. And go back with me to our text in verse number 16. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Reveal what's been hidden and cause people to look. There's a song that's sung sometimes, What the World Needs is Jesus, Just a Glimpse of Him. How or why are people going to look to Jesus? For most, it's going to be because somebody comes and shares the light of the gospel with them. Amen. And cause them to see their good works. What good works? Well, go back and read the Beatitudes. Because of that, they will look to the Lord, focus on Him. Jesus, after He healed the lame man, remember the man who was lowered by ropes into the house by His four friends? They came and dropped Him down at the feet of Jesus as Jesus was teaching in a crowded house that day. And Jesus healed him. And it says in verse number 8 of Matthew chapter 9, But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Isn't that interesting? Where did people look when they saw the good works of Jesus? They looked to God. How about Matthew 15 in verse 31? In this passage, there were multitudes of people, sick and weak and struggling, coming around Jesus. And the Bible says, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. When Jesus did all of His mighty works on this earth, what was He doing it for? Was, it doing, was He doing it just just to do awesome stuff that people think, wow, that's really cool. No, he was doing it so people would look to God, to glorify God. 
Hey, Christian, what would happen if you lived as a salt, salt-giving or salty person in this world that brings the flavor that causes people to want more? How do I get that? Why is that person different? What's so changed about their life that causes them to live this way? Hey, Christian, if you were to live a life that was a light in the darkness, what could God do? If Christians are to be doing good works in this world according to what God has made them to be and equipped them to be, then how are you doing? If God was here tonight and He had His divine salt shaker and you were inside of it, would He use you or would He want to just cast you out? As light in a dark world, are you hiding your light or are you allowing God to put you up for the world to see and to point others to Jesus? Are you the kind of light that points people to Jesus or are you the kind of light that just points people to yourself or point people away from the Lord? Are you the kind of Christian that God says, that's the one I want to use, that's the couple that will point people to me? And Jesus, he set a high bar, didn't he? He said later on that if we were going to be his disciples, that we had to be willing to forsake everything to follow him. Salt and light, two simple things. Everybody knows what they are. Everybody appreciates them when they do what they're supposed to do. Nobody has any use for them whatsoever if they're not behaving according to what they were intended to be. Hey, Christian, we have a great opportunity. Think about this, though. If you're salt and you've been used by the heavenly chef to season the dish just right, nobody comes back and says, man, the salt in that dish was awesome. No, they come back and say, wow, who's the chef that prepared that? See, salt brings glory to the one that salted the dish properly. When you go in a room, if it was an art gallery, you'd go in and you'd see, wow, look at all the beautiful paintings on the wall. You wouldn't say, wow, look at those spotlights. See, the salt and light here that Jesus is talking about, it's not about bringing glory to themselves. It's about pointing others to our Creator and to the Savior of the world. Well, Jesus gives us a lot to think about tonight, doesn't he? Salt and light. Salt and light. We're about to go to prayer. And I would encourage you as you pray, ask God for strength. Ask God for wisdom to be salt and to be light in this world. This world definitely needs salt, definitely needs light. Even Jesus acknowledged that here in Matthew chapter 5. How are you doing? What are you doing to be the salt and light that God has called you to be? Lord, help us to take these verses that may be so familiar to some because we've sung about this stuff since we were little kids. Lord, not to miss the important truth 
for us tonight. Challenge us, Lord, through your word. Thank you for this message that Jesus Christ preached so long ago. It is truly the word of God because it still convicts and challenges us even to this day. You've promised that it would not return void. So we pray that you, through the power of your spirit, would take this word and drive it deep into our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.